This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Chris Seedens. And today for Charles Feldman, about a million Israelis living in the northern territories of the country since scrambling for bomb shelters today after reports of a massive incoming attack from Lebanon and Syria, likely coming from Hezbollah fighters. The reports turned out to be a false alarm, but it shows just how on edge Israel remains. We will go in-depth on all of it. Republicans uh, may have finally solved their speaker crisis or... Have they? There is a lot of room left for chaos. And later on, we will have our special in-studio guest. CDC uh, has a new director. We're going to be welcoming her into the studio today. We start with Israel, where the Israeli Defense Force is preparing for what could be a long, brutal invasion of Gaza. Chuck Freilich, uh, formerly uh, served as national... Security Advisor, Deputy National Security Advisor to the Israeli government, now teaches international relations at Columbia. We're also joined by Mark Montgomery, retired U.S. Rear Navy Rear Admiral. He's now at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. The false alarm of incoming uh, attacks, a stark reminder that Hezbollah remains a looming threat for Israel. Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. Is is Hezbollah even more of a capable fighting force than Hamas, or, or would they be considered equal? No, it's actually uh, far stronger than uh, Hamas. There's almost no comparison, although we were, of course, greatly surprised by Hamas's capabilities. Uh, Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the other primary organization in Gaza, were together thought to have had something like 30,000, 40,000 rockets. Uh, Hezbollah has something like 150,000. It has other niche capabilities that are quite unusual. And it is considered to be a uh, better trained, uh, better equipped force than uh, Hamas. They've also got, by the way, forces, and they're also Iranian forces in in Syria. So it could be a multi-front war. It can also expand if uh, Iran has deployed rockets in, in Yemen and Iraq, and of course can hit Israel from its own territory. Uh, Mark, what's the danger here of these false alarms? Because I know that uh, years after the Cold War, you know, we learned some stories about uh, how close we might have come to an accidental missile launch. And we hear this uh, story about uh, false alarms coming into the north of Israel. Uh, But what if they did not discover it was a false alarm until it was too late and uh, a massive counteroffensive was launched in retaliation? Is there a possibility of that happening here or are there safeguards in place? I don't think that's uh, a realistic possibility. And the reason is that Israel is an extremely professional military there. Obviously, they had a, a strategic intelligence failure in, in Gaza, but broadly speaking, the intelligence warning is good. So if they would not preemptively um, do a strike based on a, a false premise, I, I think it's more the weariness of the population. That, but after what's happened uh, last weekend, I think that they'll, uh, you know, the population will will appropriately protect themselves for the foreseeable future. Uh, but on, you know, the, the Israeli the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, is extremely professional and would not launch some kind of counter strike before having a complete understanding of the inbound threat. Chuck, back to you. And why exactly were Israel's defense forces caught so flat-footed by the Hamas attack over the weekend? How much? I, I can't help but wonder how much Israel's uh, current somewhat volatile political action or, or situation may have played into their preparedness? Well, there's no doubt that this was a colossal intelligence failure. Uh, there's no ifs uh, and buts about it. I think like other major intelligence failures, whether it's uh, the Yom Kippur War, whether it's 9-11, Pearl Harbor, whatever, uh, it's in the end, it's a failure of imagination because 
In this case, uh, Israel didn't believe that Hamas had the capability to do anything like this, and so it just didn't see it. It didn't see the signs that were there, and there were some. And Hamas engaged in a rather effective strategic um, deception program. For the last couple of years, they seem to be acting in a somewhat more uh, moderate way, uh, finally dealing with uh, this, trying to help a little bit with the standard of living of people in Gaza. Um, maybe a little bit more of an economic focus. And it turned out that that was probably just cover for the other things. Uh, the week before the war breaks out, they renew the large-scale violent demonstrations along the Gaza border. So Israel's focused on that. And yes, I uh, agree with you that Israel's domestic problems have undoubtedly had an impact. Um, the IDF was in very serious trouble in the last half year. It was quite remarkable. Uh, I speak as an IDF veteran and a senior defense official. It was horrifying how in the course of months you can take, you can almost tear apart one of the world's better defense establishments. So yeah, they were diverted by that. The IDF was just trying to keep itself uh, together successfully. And the government's attention was also diverted by what they were doing. Yeah. And thank you for saying that, because I, I do want to uh, push back and see what your response is to the intelligence failure, quote unquote, aspect of this. But we'll save that because we're going to take a quick break here and our guests are going to stay with us. Uh, Chuck Freilich uh, is uh, used to be the deputy national security advisor to the Israeli government. Mark Montgomery, a retired U.S. Navy rear admiral, will continue with us on KNX In-Depth. You're listening to KNX In-Depth along with Rob Archer. I'm Chris Seedens. In the uh, next half hour, still ahead, the new director of the CDC will be in studio here on In-Depth. Right now, though, back to our conversation about what's going on in the uh, the Middle East. Tensions in the region set to go possibly even higher once Israel launches its ground assault on Gaza. Our two guests remain with us. They are Chuck Freilich, a former, uh, formerly served as National Security Advisor, that's Deputy National Security Advisor to the Israeli government, and Mark Montgomery, retired U.S. Uh, Navy Rear Admiral. Uh, Mark, to you, there are now two U.S. Aircraft carrier striker groups in the region, an awful lot of firepower on standby. Under what circumstances could the U.S. be dragged into this war? I don't think we'd be dragged in. I think the United States has always been a strong ally and partner of Israel. But Israel's never asked the United States or any other country to sacrifice their troops uh, on Israel's behalf. They've really asked us, you know, for uh, munitions and uh and resource support. And I fully expect, you know, C-17s are landing right now. They're bringing what I suspect are small diameter bombs, the kind of very high precision, low collateral damage weapons that we do, that were designed for urban environments so that uh, the uh, Israeli aircraft can use them in um, Gaza. And there, are, and at some point we'll start providing, helping with uh, increased Tamir missile uh, deliveries. That's the round that goes inside the Iron Dome system. Um, those are the kind of things we can help with. Now, look, the aircraft carrier strike groups do bring Aegis ballistic missile equipped destroyers. There is one small mission we can do alongside the Israelis, and that's to help in the deterrence of any kind of Iranian intermage ballistic missile shots against, um, against Israel. I, I think we're a long way from that right now. But you know, the capability capacity is inherent in both of those carrier strike groups, multiple ballistic missile defense ships alongside the aircraft carrier that can assist with that. 
But again, I, it, Israel is loath to ask any, the United States or any other country to sacrifice their troops on behalf of Israel. Uh, they're very, very proud to defend themselves. All right, uh, Chuck, my question to you, and, and we were talking about intelligence failures, and obviously uh, something went wrong here. Uh, some warning sign was not either given or was not heard. Uh, and I want to ask you about some uh, specific things. Uh, there is reporting that Egypt's intelligence services had warned uh, the Netanyahu government that there was trouble brewing and it might come out of Gaza. That's the reporting. I don't know how confirmed that is or not. We also know that uh, the leadership of Hamas was invited to meet with Sergei Lavrov, that's Russia's foreign minister, in Moscow uh, twice in the last year, uh, I believe uh, September 2021, and again the following March. Now, when we say intelligence failure, uh, I think we have to think about sometimes the intelligence is not what failed. The politicians are who failed because I'm thinking of 9-11 when there were intelligence warnings that something was coming, but it did not serve the political interest to be seen in that way. So attention was turned elsewhere. Did that happen in Israel here with warnings about uh, something was up with Hamas and something was up uh, coming out of Gaza, but it didn't serve the political uh, view at the time that attention had to be focused on the West Bank instead. What do you make of all that? Well, I think there's a combination here. There's plenty of uh, blame to go around. First of all, the intelligence community in Israel failed. And we have to say that openly and clearly to ourselves, because the only way to make sure that a catastrophe such as this doesn't happen again is by learning from our mistakes. But yes, I uh, agree with you that there is uh, much blame to go for the, uh, the political echelon as well. And uh, the prime minister began a judicial overhaul process about nine months ago, which was uh, unnecessary to begin with, but threw the country in a state of total disarray and, and chaos. And as I was saying before, the, the entire defense establishment was being torn apart by this. And I think that accounts for part of it. And the, the prime minister and the cabinet, they were all focused on this judicial reform instead of the real issues, which are Hamas and Hezbollah and uh, and Iran. And I also think if you're saying where the political needs and meet with the intelligence failures, I think in the last couple of years, uh, as I was saying before, there was this misconception that uh, uh, Hamas was be, be moderating or becoming being tamed, so to speak. I think we we took our eye off the fact that Hamas and Hezbollah are both fundamentalist jihadi organizations. They're not about uh, proper governance and economic growth. Their number one objective in life is to destroy the state of Israel. And then they have a grander vision for what will happen after that. But that's what they're focused on. And I think that was the really big misunderstanding here. All right. Uh, thank you so much, our guests. Uh, that was Chuck uh, Freilich there, formerly served as Deputy National Security Advisor to the Israeli government, now teaches international relations at Columbia. And Mark Montgomery, retired U.S. Navy Rear Admiral. Now he's at the, the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Don't forget, you can find the KNX In-Depth podcast on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up in just a couple of minutes on KNX In-Depth, could Republicans in Congress be putting their drama behind them and getting Back to governing.
You are listening to KNX In-Depth with uh, Chris Eaton's in today for Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. Now, the triple threat of COVID, RSV, and the flu will be back in play this winter. The CDC's new director will be with us shortly to talk about how we can best defend ourselves against the viral mashup. I'm kind of wondering near the break there if the new CDC director is going to bring us some uh, shots. Free, free samples, maybe? Yeah, some shots. Uh, yeah. Give us her shots while we're on the air. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, right now, though, the House Republican leadership appeared to be a little bit closer uh, toward naming a successor to Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Steve Scalise is the Louisiana congressman, appears to be in the driver's seat right now, but there's still a lot of time for chaos to re-rear its ugly head. Uh, Sarah Binder is a congressional uh, scholar at Brookings, political science professor at George Washington University. Thanks so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. So the first question I have for you is Donald Trump endorsed Jim Jordan. And once again, a Donald Trump endorsement has failed, uh, does well in in primary elections, uh, never so well in general elections. So now we have an election that's inside uh, House leadership. It didn't appear to go anywhere here. And at least for right now, even though there's still time for everything to get upended again, it's Steve Scalise. Does, is this another uh, uh, notch against Donald Trump's endorsement and power in the Republican Party? Well, it's certainly a sign of a diminished Trump power within the Republican conference in the House. But keep in mind, this was uh, behind closed doors and it was a secret ballot. And so in the privacy of the vote there, yes, um, many of those uh, over half of the Republicans uh, were not swayed by a Trump endorsement of, of Jim Jordan. Are you are and you suggesting mind, yeah. that we could maybe get things done in Congress if everybody's vote was secret? Well, uh, on the one hand, yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, trade off. Uh, I think voters would like to see how their representatives vote so we can at least try to hold them accountable. Sarah, will Steve Scalise really be that much different uh, as a House speaker than Kevin McCarthy was? Their politics, for the most part, doesn't differ that much, does it? Well, if it is Scalise who gets elected speaker of the House, uh, on the one hand, correct. They've been in a leadership team as it were, they've worked together for years. Uh, if if uh, McCarthy, McCarthy was voting more, uh, he doesn't really vote as speaker, you'd see that their voting records are quite a lot uh, alike historically. Uh, but in fact, so Scalise is rooted in the conservative movement and the growth of that movement within uh, the House Republican Conference uh, for all the time uh, that he's been uh, in elected to the House. McCarthy was never part of that crowd. His route to power was straight through party leadership positions. And I think that's somewhat of what the hardliners in the Republican conference hold against him. He's not one of them. Uh, he doesn't, I don't, it seems, he doesn't have real sort of ideological convictions. Uh, he wants to make a deal uh, and he wants to be speaker or he wanted to be speaker. So what would that pretend going forward? I think the answer is we really don't know. This is a tough, tough uh, conference to run in a house that's very fractured. And, of course, there's a lot of pressure going on right now. You've got the situation with Hamas and Israel and uh, the ongoing conflict in uh, Ukraine with uh, Russia's invasion there. So, you know, the house is kind of stymied until we get this sorted out. But what uh, help us with the mechanics of it. What does Steve Scalise need to accomplish next to lock it down his uh, leadership role? Well, there's a choice here for Scalise. Uh, and first of all, it's got to decide, uh, do I want to lock up these votes as best I can before I go 
to a public vote on the House floor. And that entails some pretty hard member to member with his staff uh, and with members um, trying to turn votes to see what his real bottom line vote count is. That's his one choice, sort of grind it out until he's ready, he thinks he'd get elected on the first ballot on the floor. The alternative, if he tries that and he's not getting any traction or there are too many holdouts, well, perhaps he goes to the floor, wants to go to the floor, have that uh, vote, uh, and then try to grind people down uh, to support him uh, with that public pressure on House Republicans to get the job done. Sarah, will there be any protections that many moderate Republicans in the House wanted that one person can't bring down the next speaker? Well, I think there is a cohort of Republicans who would like to get rid of or to make it harder to use the procedure that was used to take down um, Speaker McCarthy. Um, But it's not clear that that's in play here. Um, But again, we don't really know, right? And also keep in mind, I don't know that the moderates are necessarily uh, very in tune uh, with their colleague, Steve Scalise, and perhaps they want to hold it in reserves themselves. We really don't know. And it's a a bit of a uh, a bit of a fog of war going on here, um, trying to read the tea leaves of what's going to happen in the House. And do Democrats do anything other than uh, continue to support Hakeem Jeffries as as the minority leadership? Uh, Do they make a deal with Scalise or is that even necessary? Um, They're sticking with Jeffries. They'll stick with them from day one of this uh, Congress all the way to the very end. Um, The power of the minority when you're in the House is sticking together. And so any differences they might have amongst themselves, they pale in comparison to their differences uh, with Republicans. So I'm hard pressed to see any Democrats reach across party lines. uh, And I'm hard pressed to see Um, Scalise or any other Republican give anything to the Democrats to help them get elected. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Sarah Bender, congressional scholar at Brookings and a political science professor at George Washington University. Coming up on KNX In-Depth, the new director of the CDC, Dr. Mandy Cohen, joins us in studio. You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Chris Seaton, sitting in today for Charles Feldman. All right. COVID is uh, not gone yet. Uh, there are still some challenges. Uh, one of them is a uh, new COVID vaccine is available, but the rollout's been a little rocky. And a lot of Americans, of course, still out there, still that contingent of people that think, uh, 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 believe in conspiracy theories. They are probably going to refuse to take it. There are also some people who uh, have just had enough of COVID vaccines. They don't want any more. All of this is going to land not on your shoulders or mine, but on the shoulders of <laughs> Dr. Mandy Cohen. She's an internist and the new director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Great to be here with you in person. And when you walked into the studio, I asked if you brought some shots with us. You gave us shot, shots. Unfortunately, I've already got my COVID and flu vaccine right, shots. Great job. So had I known, I would have waited. <laughs> I made my appointment this morning. Yeah. I got mine this morning in South L.A. Oh, there you go. Are your arms sore? You, not, you, not yet. Yeah? Not yet. Yeah, okay, it probably no will be tomorrow. So uh, what do you do? Uh, let, let's talk about the, the hesitancy that some people have. Because we're not just talking about the people who are just suddenly anti-vaccine, uh, vaccines are evil, Satan had something to do with creating them. But you've also got people that I've heard from that have gotten the other COVID vaccines and the boosters, and they're just kind of like, I have to get another one? Mm-hmm. Uh, did the CDC and did the, the government not not 
promote the idea enough that this is going to be like a flu vaccine mm. that it's probably smart to get every year? Well, so the CDC a few weeks ago did recommend that everyone over the age of six months get this updated COVID vaccine. It's really for two reasons. One, this virus keeps changing, just like flu, as you were mentioning, changes every year. We're seeing COVID continue to change, and we need to make sure folks have the updated protection. The second is that the protection we get from either having COVID or getting vaccinated decreases over time. So this is the right time right now here in October to get protected ahead of Thanksgiving, ahead of Christmas. When you're getting your flu shot, add a COVID shot, you can get both in the same day. So so basically moving forward now, we're looking at flu shot, COVID shot once a year in the fall. That's the kind of the the, the big part of the, the flu season. It's, it, we should basically get get it in our day planner every fall. Well, we think that is likely. Obviously, we're still learning about COVID. I know mm-hmm. where most of us want to leave it in the rearview mirror, but it's still here and it is likely changing and we're going to need to deal with it just like flu. Um, so stay tuned. But what we think it was likely be an annual vaccine, but we still need to gather more data on how the virus is changing. But yes, put it in your planner probably mm-hmm. once a year with your flu vaccine. You're getting an updated COVID vaccine as well. Speaking of uh, COVID changes, uh, changing, uh, I know that nobody can predict the future, but uh, how possible is it that we would have to go back to the lockdowns, uh, everybody's got to mask up all the time uh, situation with COVID, or because we have these vaccines and boosters with us now, that mitigates all that? Yeah, we are outside the emergency. That is the good news. We're in a better place than we've ever been, and we have some underlying protection. So that is good news. So we are seeing less hospitalizations, less death. But are we still seeing people get sick and die? Yes, we are. And particularly if you are over 65, that is where all the folks who are getting really sick are. But even if you're under 65, we're seeing a lot of folks get long COVID. Those are extended symptoms from COVID. Getting vaccinated or using treatment actually decreases your risk of long COVID. So even if you're not at risk of going into the hospital, but if you don't want those symptoms for a long time, even from a mild case, get vaccinated, get treatment. From a CDC perspective, what kind of research is being done to help deal with those people, the, the, the people who do end up with long COVID? Yeah, long COVID's a real issue. I mean, we see this from other viral illnesses as well, but COVID, because we all experience it at the same time, we're really learning a lot about it. Um, actually, the Biden administration made a big investment of dollars through the National Institute of Health or NIH to do research on this. We, um, we have whole teams that are really trying to understand this in a different way. So I think a lot more to learn, but the good news is, get vaccinated, get treatment, less likely for you to have extended symptoms from this virus. All right. We have locked the door. Uh, Dr. Mandy Cohen, the new director of the CDC, <laughs> is not allowed to leave the studio. She's going to stay with us, but we are going to take a break right now, and KNX In-Depth will continue. You are listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Chris Eans, who is in for Charles Feldman. Yeah, there's growing evidence that many people will shun the latest COVID vaccine shot, uh, and hesitancy is actually spreading across many different vaccines, not just the COVID shots. We're joined in studio by uh, Dr. Mandy Cohn, Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Dr. Cohen, thanks for being here with us today. Let's talk a little bit about that that hesitancy. We, we touched on it a bit, I believe, in our last segment, but there are a lot of people not just who are maybe getting tired of of taking all the shots, but who have real reservations about uh, the COVID-19 vaccination shot. Uh, your, your, Your thoughts directed towards them? Well, first, yes, I'm the CDC director, but I'm also a mom Mm -hmm. and I'm a daughter. Um, One, I got my vaccine uh, today. I wouldn't recommend anything for the American people that I wouldn't recommend for myself and my family. 
And I want them to know that I want to protect myself and my family. I love them very much. I want to have a nice Thanksgiving. Um, and so we are all getting vaccinated. My my daughters are 9 and 11. My parents are over 65. Um, my husband and I are getting vaccinated. So we're hoping that folks can hear, you know, that we're, we're just trying to help everyone protect themselves. Um, and we have extensively studied these vaccines. Um, they are some of the most studied vaccines in history. We've given 600 million doses of the COVID vaccine um, in terms of studying it. So very safe, very effective. And again, something I'd recommend for my own family. And uh, not just COVID, we've got some other things here that people are concerned about, like RSV, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we need to know about RSV uh, and about protecting ourselves? What kind of vaccines are there? Yeah, so the first time in history this season, we have vaccines to protect ourselves against RSV. Now, RSV usually impacts the our, our elderly population and infants. And so we have a vaccine that is approved for those over 60. So if you're over 60, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about the RSV vaccine. Or if you are a pregnant mom and you are between 32 and 36 weeks pregnant, there is a brand new maternal vaccine and you pass along your antibodies to the baby. If not, if your your baby's already here uh, and they're under eight months, we also have a vaccine immunization for them as well. Again, we saw last season with... um, RSV, a lot of kids in the hospital. Um, we don't want to see that again. And anything we can prevent, uh, we want to keep your keep your kiddos healthy. Whether it's COVID, RSV, uh, the flu, uh, let's talk a little bit about masks, uh, which were a, a big, big issue for many people for a long, long time. Uh, some people, you'll be out and about, you'll see them wearing them. I know uh, I was traveling through an airport. I think I'm still feeling comfortable wearing a mask in the airport. Mm-hmm. I'll often throw one on in grocery stores, not so much at work anymore. Are they still seen as a helpful way to help protect yourself? Or maybe if you feel something coming on, put one on to protect others? I think this is all about layers of protection. Vaccine being one, testing and treatment, masks, ventilation, washing your hands. But yes, masks work. Masks protect you and they protect you from giving something to others. So again, know what's happening in your community. Do you have a lot of COVID circulating, RSV or flu? And then who are you around? Are you someone who is immunocompromised? Are you going to visit the grandparents this weekend? Um, Those are the times where you want to add more layers of protection. Maybe it's a mask. Maybe it's having that lunch outside, right? So um, it's a matter of using the tools. We're a lot smarter than we were um, even just um, a year ago. And so if we use all these tools that we have, we can have a very healthy and safe fall and winter. I want everyone to have a uh, in-person Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, And so again, using these tools that we have, um, we're very lucky uh, to protect ourselves. Speaking of the flu, uh, I know there was a lot of fear uh, in the first year of the pandemic when flu season was going to roll around that mm-hmm. year. Uh, it turned out not to have been that big of a deal because <laughs> people we were weren't going out, so <laughs> so uh, nobody got the flu. But there was concern about a twindemic, mm. right, uh, get, having flu and mm. COVID spreading at the same time. Now, we're beyond the emergency, as you say, but is there still concern about uh, making sure people get their flu vaccines as mm. well so that we don't wind up with COVID? It's still going around, and the flu begins going around. Absolutely. So we want to protect ourselves against all three of those viruses. And, and really, how bad the season's going to be is 
in our hands, right? The more people who get vaccinated, the more are going to get protected, the less severe the season is going to be. We already know that the flu vaccine was a good fit for the changes in the virus. We know the same thing about COVID. So if we use these tools, we're going to have um, a season where we can make sure that our hospitals are going to be able to treat everyone who needs the care um, this season. So get vaccinated. Uh, We're also being told that you can go out and get your uh, flu shot and your COVID-19 vaccination at the same time. Friend made an interesting point to me that maybe it might be better to get them separately in that if you do have a reaction, maybe a major reaction, that at least you'll know, was it the flu shot or was it the COVID shot? So most folks have already gotten a flu shot or a COVID shot, so we're not so concerned about being able to differentiate. If you have one appointment, I'd get them both done Mm -hmm. um, instead of having to come back. But uh, yeah, if you want to separate them, also also fine to do as well. But but is there a concern, though, that even though, and again, I I just set up my appointment uh, this morning, I'll be getting it, I, I guess on Friday after work. Uh, I've never had any kind of major reaction. Um, Is there a concern that you could still get a a reaction? It's very, very unlikely. Um, So what we're seeing in terms of side effects is really uh, pain in your in your arm, right where the shot is, maybe a little fatigue at the end of the day. Um, but no, we're not really seeing any of that, particularly now that we've moved past where we're needing two shots in a row or things like that. So, uh, you know, we're recommending everyone get their COVID and flu vaccine and feel very free to get them both I, at the same I got time. them both. I got one in each arm. And I have there to say go. the flu arm felt more sore more than sore. the COVID mm-hmm. arm. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a little, uh, w- what's the technical term I want to use? I felt crappy yeah, the next yeah, day, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I figured, let me get it all over with. So yeah, I got both shots at the same time. So, Good. you know, that's because I'm smart, right? That's it. right? There you go. Okay. <laughs> so uh, before we let you go, I do want to ask you a very, very important question, probably more important than anything else we've asked today. I've always imagined the director of the CDC uh, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, pandemics mm. and epidemics and dangerous buggies out there that mm. are trying to kill us all. Buggies. Um, mm-hmm. Those big words. Or, yeah, when you say buggy, it doesn't feel as dangerous. <laughs> big yeah. words um, coming from Rob So today. your office yeah. is... Uh, you have to walk through like a hallway where you have to wear suits, right? And you get sealed <laughs> off. Your office is like that, like oh, super, like you see in a James oh, Bond film. Totally You're in the, like a movie. Right, an oh. evil villain lair, yeah. right? So you have that. Mm. So what I would say is the CDC is an incredibly important national security asset. As you were saying, that we have to defend this nation from biologic threats, just like our military defends us from, you know, bombs and guns, we need to defend ourselves from buggies, <laughs> from <laughs> some, from those viruses, from, uh, from biologic threats, whether they're here in our borders or abroad. Um, and so, yes, you know, we will, we're up at night worrying for you so you don't have to, uh, but no, no, I don't, I don't have to suit up uh, to go to work, luckily. <laughs> but, but we have, um, uh, you know, secure labs, uh, you know, in our facilities to make sure we can deal with uh, some of those high con- high consequence pathogens that you're talking about. And you have to train for many years to make sure you're doing that safely. All right. Uh, I, I can't help but wonder, you're, you're a, uh, you've are you got a young family at home yeah. right now, and you've got the weight of the country on you right now. Are you enjoying the new job? Well, I would say it's a team sport here. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I certainly uh, lose some hours of sleep worrying to make sure we're keeping the country safe. But I have a great team behind me. And protecting this public's health can't be CDC alone. I think right. the pandemic taught us that. This is, this is a team sport, and each and every one of us plays a role here, whether it's rolling up our sleeve to get vaccinated um, or making sure that you're protecting those around you. So I appreciate everyone's support. 
Um, we've learned a lot. Let's make sure we're protecting ourselves going forward. Well, I, I would say that you look rested, so I'm, I'm uh, comforted by that. <laughs> I, I think if I saw you come in here and you looked very tired and haggard, I would be worried. It's the good L.A. Right. air. Yeah, there yes. you go. All right. Dr. Randy Cohen, director of the CDC, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, that's going to do it for KNX In-Depth. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.